Tonight, uh, we are kind of continuing a little study on thinking biblically. Uh, again, this is a little study uh, that we started last week. And uh, this is actually, part of what I'm sharing is actually what we're doing with the teen Sunday school class. And, uh, and so it's just a little book from regular Baptist Press, nothing too fancy. But the content has been good. As I was studying and preparing for the teens, I was like, man, there's some good stuff here that we grown-up kids could use too. <laughs> and so uh, it was just a challenge to me, and I thought, you know, we'll just kind of uh, adjust it a little bit for the adults here. Um, and, but there's some great, great lessons to learn. Last week, when we talked about thinking biblically, uh, we kind of starting out the, the lesson, remember we talked about how do you view life? How do you view what the Lord has, or, or, or what we have before us? And a lot of people, what do they do? They, they view life and the circumstances around it by viewing it from really secular ideas. Uh, maybe what their friend says, or what someone on TV says, or something they saw on social media. And that's how we view life. We view problems through that lens. And and be honest with you, even as Christians, those who are born-again Christians, the way they look at life's problems is they see it through the world's lens, and that's how they see the Bible. They read the Bible as they see their own world. But it shouldn't be the other way around. And that's kind of what this, this book is arguing, that we're not, most Christians really don't think biblically when it gets down to it. What are they doing? They are thinking, they're even reading the Bible or even looking at the church, and they're doing it through world eyes. You know, what can I get out of it? Well, that's not the idea, okay? So the idea is this, that we should view the world and the problems and situations that we have through the lens of Scripture, and in that, it, it puts in proper perspective of what we see in our world today, whether you hear something on the news, uh, maybe something happens in your family, and how do you adjust to that? And I think that's kind of dovetails a little bit with the message this morning as well, uh, as far as Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not so much on your performance of what you're doing or not doing. That's kind of man-centered when you think of it. Your su- based on that, your success as a Christian is how many prayers you can make or how much money you can give or how many services you can take, whatever you want to put out there, that's kind of man-centered and who's going to top you, you know, for that. And so th- this is the challenge for us is to, to know Christ and know Him well, know Him personally. So this is the important thing that we do here tonight. So I want to start with a verse of Scripture. Let's go to the book of Psalms, chapter 139. Psalm 139. We'll be in a couple passages tonight and eventually we'll get down here to the marker board. Um, I will... Do my best to write big. Or you're more than welcome to come up a few rows. All right? (laughs) Or bring your own binoculars night. Okay? So there's a couple ways you can do it. All right? Um, If I got really fancy, we could do a PowerPoint. But I kind of like doing the marker board, too. It's kind of fun. Psalm 139. I want to start out with one verse, kind of get this started tonight. Uh, Before we look at the verse, though, last week we talked about dealing, how to think biblically. We talked about the idea of authority. How do we respond to authority? Um, and obviously, God is, is our ultimate authority. That's, that's very important as we view life. So here we go. In Psalm 119, or excuse me, 139, sorry. Psalm 139, get the right book here, the right chapter. Look with me in verse 7. Psalm 139, verse 7. It says here, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I f- flee from thy presence? Okay. By the way, this psalm in itself is just a beautiful psalm. Um, uh, just there's a lot of good 
verses, probably some verses out of this passage that you are either memorized or you're very familiar with, okay? But uh, this is the idea. When we look at the presence of the Lord, this is what we're talking about tonight. Tonight we're looking about how to think biblically and knowing that the Lord is ever-present with us and around us. He's there. And a lot of times, to be honest with you, we forget that, okay? So again, we're encouraging us how to think, how to view life biblically, how to think biblically. So again, in verse 7, here's the question, whither or where shall I go from thy spirit, from the Holy Spirit? God's Spirit. Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Where can I go from God? That's the idea. And what's the answer? It's a rhetorical question. Is there anywhere in this world that you can get out of God's presence? No. But so many times we need to be reminded of that, don't we? Yeah, we cannot escape God's, uh, God's presence. Now, here's the thing. For There's two ways to look at that. For some, you can uh, be afraid or fearful, or, you know, like, almost view God as some mean-handed school teacher. Did you ever have a mean-handed school teacher? Just ornery, and just like, you thought that person, um, he or she was out to get you? (laughs) We'll have an altar call in a minute. (laughs) Uh, But anyways, you think about, for example, that, and a lot of people view God that way. Like, okay, God is wanting me to do this and that. I can't get a break. God, just leave me alone. Some people, even Christians, are like that. Again, but how are they viewing that situation? They're viewing it not from the Bible. They're viewing it from their own experience or cultural experience or some other influence. That's how they're doing it. But biblically speaking, when we think that God is ever-present, and we use a big word for it, we talked about last week, that God is omnipresent present, which means God is everywhere. Remember, there's the three omnis of God. God is omnipotent, which means God is all mighty, all powerful, okay? God is omnipresent, which means he's where? Then God is omniscient, meaning God is all knowing. Those are the three big things we know about God. And do we understand those things? No, uh, we believe it, but it's hard for us as finite beings uh, to really come to grasp with that. So, but the question is this, is there any place we can get away from God? No, there's not. So how then, knowing that truth, how should it affect our lives? That's what we're talking about tonight. If we know God God is ever-present, He's there, how then should we live for Him? How then should we think? And we're going to think biblically on that. So I like the illustration that the, um, the, the writer here gives, and I'll just kind of bring my own in it. Think of this. I remember I told you this morning my first job was working at Front Street Cafe in Brainerd, Minnesota. And I was a dishwasher for about two years, cleaning, doing busing, doing whatever, kind of the low in the totem pole. Well, my second job, uh, I call it my, my second W-2 job, okay, was I was at Grandview Lodge in, in Brainerd, Nisswa area, and I uh, worked there for seven years. Absolutely loved it. I, I loved that job. I still have very fond memories, had very good co-workers, a good environment. Uh, it was a lar- it's a large resort, still is, obviously. It's bigger than when I was there, for sure. Uh, I worked mainly in the golf department at the Pines and Preserve, a little bit at Deacon's Lodge uh, that they had at that time. And uh, so we were constantly around customers. We had to help them out, do things. I had to pull golf carts around. We had to go on the course doing odds and ends, just a variety. And for a year, I worked in the pro shop. Uh, And then I worked, uh, the last three years, I worked at, it was called Tea Times. It was basically reservations, and it was right near the admin office. So that's kind of, so I got shuffled around a little bit. But here's the thing that I always loved about this, that I remember this, uh, I think it was the first couple of years I was working there, we were, I was right outside the clubhouse, and 
we were there standing waiting for some customers to arrive. In fact, there was some actually pulling in to drop off their golf clubs, and we were going to help and assist them and get them to the right tee box, etc. So while we were sitting there waiting for the cars to go up, one of the other managers, not in our department, he, uh, this was the manager for the grounds crew, you know, the guys on the you know, Toros, you know, Harvey, you would have fit right in with them, you know, cutting the fairways and all that. And uh, so he was the manager over them. But this guy, his name is Tom. Actually, he's a dear friend of mine even till this day. Tom comes over and he sees us. And I was, I think, just almost ready to go into college. So either high school or into college at this time. And we're standing there around waiting for these customers. And all of a sudden, Tom comes over and says, hey, guys, what are you doing here? Do this, do that, do that. He wanted us to look busy, be busy, get to work. Whenever, and then here's a lesson. Whenever Tom was around or any of our other managers were around, you know what we did? We got busy. Even if there was nothing to do, we would somehow get busy. Have you ever had that work experience where you're doing something and when the boss comes, the manager comes, whoever's over you, and all of a sudden their presence affects how you work? You know what I mean from that? It just is a different, or going back to your old school days, when the teacher comes in, that's one thing, but when the principal stopped in, I don't know about you, but if you had a good principal, when that principal stopped in, everyone sat up straight, everyone listened, everyone just a little bit better behavior when that happened. Why? Because the presence of that authority figure made a difference, okay? And so that's kind of what we're talking about even tonight. All right, so the presence of someone else, especially in authority, changes our behavior. We behave our, generally, we behave ourselves better. We try to, uh, to do it when someone else like that is around. When you're on your own, you tend to do what you want, okay, or with your friends. But here's the point. When we talk about the presence of God, and as we saw in this verse, God is ever present in our lives, whether we realize it or not. So here's a point. I want us to understand this. Another step towards thinking biblically about ethics and morality, what we do and how we live, is to recognize that we constantly live in the presence of God. So how do we think biblically? Another step in thinking biblically is recognizing we constantly live in the presence of God. If you always knew that God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, your creator was there present with you, would that change how you act, how you think? how you live, and hope you would nod your head. Yes, of course it would. Okay, that should be a given. So I want you to think for a second. I'm going to give you some, this is kind of like a kind of a Sunday school time in a way, but think about this, all right? Describe in your mind, you don't have to answer this out loud, but think of a specific time when you were aware of the presence of God. Think of the location and maybe where that was. Uh, when I was dealing with the teens this morning, uh, they were trying to figure out, you know, of course, you know, they've lived just, what, teens of years, you know, so what experience do they have? And so I try to make it really simple. Think about the day you were saved. Where I hope when you were saved, you discover the presence of God. Hopefully that made a difference in your life. So think about that place. What was your attitude when you noticed the presence of God? You want to hear what the teens said? I believe one teen says they were joyful when they knew that God was there. Another one said, uh, Ben, you can correct me if I'm wrong. What was some other people that they said? Someone said they were joyful. Uh, one, oh, yeah, I think it was Linnea. She says, I felt very calm at peace. It brought a peaceful presence to her. Um, so, yeah, there's a couple of reactions, but think it to your mind. You don't have to answer it loud, but think in your mind, what was the reaction when you knew God was there, especially the day of salvation? 
I know for me, and when I was saved as a young child, I know exactly where I got saved at Solid Rock Bible Camp near the altar of that service. I know exactly. I could take you to that spot right now, except they tore the building down some years ago. Okay, but nonetheless, I remember it happened clearly. And I remember the joy. I remember getting up, and I was a different person. God had changed my life. He was there with me, and I felt that assurance and joy. And uh, it, it was amazing, okay? Now, think of, let's talk about another thing, though. Describe or think about a time where you were unaware of God's presence. In other words, and that's probably, I'll be honest with you, for a lot of us, including myself, there's probably a lot of times we are kind of unaware that God is there. We don't notice, okay? Um, anyways, how does our attitude change when we know God or we think God isn't there? We can get away with stuff. We can bend the rules, so to speak. We might get angry, upset. Those are other things that fall out of that. So what I'm trying to say is, and through the book here, different patterns emerge in your life when you are aware or unaware of God's presence. And so uh, I think this is something. How does your life change when you understand that God is there? And here's the question. Do you believe or do you behave differently when you're aware of God's presence than when you're not conscious of it? Okay? Let me ask you this. Maybe a quick popcorn. Give me a, a thought that you have. If you, what is some way you would behave differently if you really knew God was always there with you? What are, what are some things that you think of? Describe, describe um, how would you behave differently or how would... You don't have to use yourself. How would one behave differently if they knew God was always present? Anyone? Uh, read your Bible more. Okay. You would spend more time with them that way. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Anyone else? What, what's another way you would probably act differently or think even think differently if you knew God was always there? Okay. You would make choices that honor God even in the midst of a group. You know, a lot of our, our young people, it's not just our young, young people, folks. It's you know, really every walk of life. There's pressures that do happen when you're in a group of certain people. Um, how do you respond to that biblically? Thinking through that issue biblically, just to go around, along with the crowd? Or if you really knew that God was there, would you act and say things differently? Would you, for example, accept a dirty joke that was said? Or would you simply say, no, that's not for me? I, you know, how would you do that? Someone curses the Lord. How would you do it? Would you laugh along with it? Would you nod your head? Would you even participate in that speech? I mean, just those are just some things. But I think we would behave differently if we knew God was, was definitely there. And I pray as an outflow of that, yes, we would spend more time with Him in prayer and Bible reading. Absolutely. So whether you are aware or not of God's presence, the fact remains He is always present, of course. So how then do we know uh, that God is, is with us? So this is kind of where we're going to look at, at here. On, on the uh, marker board. Okay, so there are two things that help us to know uh, about um, that God is always present. Now, first of all is Jesus himself. Okay? Jesus himself. So this is how we know that God is with us. And so I would like someone to turn, I'll have my wife beat, I'm looking right at her, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is a good verse to memorize, by the way. How do we know that God is present with us? And we know it through the person of Christ. We're going to find out. You can follow along, Galatians 2.20. Okay? By the way, as she's looking this up, there's a good way of how we live our lives. And it's a phrase that I've used sometimes around here. Remember, there's just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. And that is, part of that is because of the awareness of, of the Lord 
in our lives, okay? Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, mm. and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself to me. Okay, very good. I love that verse. The big point of that verse that we're, is, applies to what we're talking about tonight is how do we know that God is always present with us? Is through Jesus Christ. And what does that verse say? Where is Christ? As a child of God, we Christ, what? Live us, lives in me. Exactly. That kind of goes with what we looked at Colossians this morning. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the indwelling. So God is always with us. That happened at salvation. And that will be with us until the Lord takes us home, Okay. And then we'll be in his glorious presence there. But anyway, so through the person of Jesus Christ, yes, we do have uh, that understanding that he is always present with us. And then this happens at the moment of salvation. So within that, how then should we live? Thinking from Lewis Berry Schaefer, okay? How should we live then? How should we live our lives if we know that Christ is always with us because he indwells us? And of course, through his Holy Spirit, we know that as well. Look with me in the book of Colossians. Excuse me. Go back to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in Colossians 3. We're going to look at a quick list here of some things that, um, uh, that are qualities in the life of a believer that once you are saved, there are certain things in our life that should not be there. Okay? So Colossians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 5. Let's, let me go back here. Okay, Colossians 3, verse 5. And yeah, just let's look at verse 5. Who can I get to read that? Thank you, Dave. <laughs> just, verse. just verse 5, yeah. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, so these terms here. The first word that we find in this verse is mortify, which simply means put to death. Cut it off, get away from it, is the idea. Okay, mortify therefore your members. Okay, and this is talking really about um, your, your sin, the sins of your body. This is, it's, Paul's making a metaphor here, the sins of your body. Basically, cut it off. Let it die. Okay, mortify, put to death your members, your sinful members, basically your sinful actions that you do. And what are they? Fornication, immorality, things like that, okay? Um, any immorality or sexual involvement outside of marriage. Uncleanness, inordinate affection. This is talking about um, basically passions or desire that are not appropriate. Uh, evil concupiscence, say that five times fast, okay? Uh, this is talking about evil desires, evil intent uh, that you have. Covetousness. Uh, which is idolatry. That's basically anything that takes the place of God. Okay, so now let's go a little bit more in detail here. And uh, let's look at verse... Um, it, it, here's a testimony, verse 7, in which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. In other words, for the Colossian believers, this is what your life was like before Christ. Why is it in your life now? Get rid of it. This should not be a part of a believer's life. And when we understand the presence of God in our life, yes, it's, we make a conscious choice, yes, just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Verse 8, let's look at that really quickly. Uh, who would like to read that verse? Verse 8. Yes, Daphne? Okay, so going through that, what's the first thing on that list? 
anger. Okay? There, we know and even Jesus had a righteous anger. You know, we, there, there's a place for that. But in general, anger uh, is to be angry at someone without, especially without a cause, you know, things like that. These are definitely, that goes against God, okay? It's a sin. Uh, what's the next thing? Wrath, okay? Okay, someone in their own words tell me, what would wrath be? You got anger, what would wrath be, do you think? In your own words. Or you can look it up. I'll let you look it up tonight. Maybe just, um, if you're, you're angry, you just get angry and you let it out. Okay. It is uh, more of a, uh, a way of thinking. Okay. Thinking more like evil and doing evil and hurting others. Okay. So it'd be, think of Emerald. Let's kick anger up a notch. We have wrath. It's kind of a more of an outburst of it. Uh, kind of leads maybe to destruction. It's, it's not a good thing, okay? Now, there is the wrath of God, but that is, with God, it's always a righteous wrath, a righteous judgment. But for us as human beings, it's hard for us to control that, okay? Usually it comes from our sins that we have, okay? So what's the next thing on that list? Malice, okay? What is malice? What do you think? In your own words. Not the malice in the palace. That was back a few years ago. If you are malice or malicious, have, have malicious intent, you are you're really trying to undermine someone, maybe come from behind. It's more devious, if you will. Okay. Uh, and then what's the next thing on that list? Blasphemy. Okay. That's basically speaking against God, using God's name, his testimony inappropriately, things like that. Uh, so for that. Uh, and then what's the last thing? Filthy communication. Okay. Um, I'll just say... Filthy communication. It's a potty mouth, okay? It's saying things that shouldn't be. Um, it's, it, it basically, again, has the idea of drawing people away, too. It's, it's kind of a really malicious. But let me just ask you this. When we, when we think of what, it, if our lives, and this is, I mean, this is kind of what our lives were like before we got saved. But if we really understand that God, His, His presence is all around us, should any of these things be in our life? No, and Paul says again back in verse 5, to mortify these members or these things in our lives. Because let me ask you this, who are we supposed to be like? If Christ lives in you, is Christ any of this? No. So this should be, we should mortify the, this flesh, mortify these desires, put it to death. Let it not be a part of our life. Okay? But let's now go to a different verse here. And um, look with me over in verse, let's see here. Uh, 12. Let's look at 12 and 12 through 14. 12, 13, 14. Who would like to read those verses? Mandy? Okay, go ahead. Yep, chapter 3. Yep. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, vows of mercy, kindness, holiness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these, put on charity, which is the bond of perfection. Okay. So in looking at that, let's look at some of these qualities now. So if you mortify or put off, going to Romans, if you put off those works of the flesh or those sinful desires of anger, wrath, malice, etc., 
then you should put on something. The idea is like putting on one piece of clothing, switching it to another is kind of the idea. All right, so what's the first thing on that list that we should have? So what should a Christian look like if we knew that God was always present with us? Bowels of mercy. Now, we have a doctor in the room, so you know if you want to talk about bowels, you can do that. But the idea is this. Bowels of mercy, simply compassion. Having compassion uh, for one another, okay? So having compassion, all right? That's definitely a trait, a good honorable trait that we should have as a believer. What's the next thing? The next thing in that list. Kindness, okay? Uh, treating someone nicely, going the extra mile, going out of your way, helping someone. All right, next thing, humbleness of mind, or let's just simply say humility. Humility, okay? Okay? That, by the way, when we look at already the comparison between these two lists, I mean, it's light years difference uh, from each other. Okay, humility, uh, putting others before you, all right? Next on that list, meekness, okay? What is meekness? Anyone have a good definition? When we talk about meekness, what, are we talk, what, do, what do we usually mean by that? Okay, excellent. Power under control. Uh, the Bible describes Moses as being meek, for example. Um, Jesus was meek. Uh, these are some great examples. Uh, meekness, power under control, all right, is the idea. So it's kind of a gentle uh, idea is really the idea behind that. All right, next. Long-suffering, another word we can say is patience, basically. If you are, I long-suffer with you today. But I'm patient with you today, is the idea, okay? So patience, forgiveness, okay? Forgiveness, all right? Or forbearing one another, it basically means to put up with someone, is the idea. We, sometimes we feel uh, we have to put up with someone a lot, okay? But basically is just being very considerate, is the idea, okay? But then going on to forgiveness, okay? Having a forgiving heart. Um, and by the way, this is definitely what Christ did. And then finally, what's the last one in verse uh, 14, I believe? Charity, which is really love, okay? Is that agape love? Okay, so these are all characteristics that should be in the life of a believer. By the way, this definitely reflects what we read later on in Galatians chapter 5 about, again, Paul goes through this thing again, putting off and putting on is the idea. So let me ask you this. Who does this look like? All these compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearing, forgiveness, love. Who does that, if there's someone who could model that, who would that be? Jesus himself. Exactly. So Jesus himself definitely does, definitely has this, uh, he's the embodiment of that. But as we are in him, this should be a reflection of our lives. Uh, As again, Christ liveth in me, this is what our lives should look like right here. So here's the important thing, though, I want us to understand, is this, where do we begin where, where do these things begin in our lives? Where do they start? I was, asking, I was asking the teens this morning, how does someone become angry or malicious or have potty mouth or blasphemous? How do people get that way? What would you answer? How do people get that way? I mean, they, they had, first of all, they said, well, maybe something saw like on social media. There's a lot of things that people stir the pot. Some people like to stir the pot just to stir the pot. Okay, but ultimately, it's what you guys are saying. It's natural. It really comes from our, our mind is the idea. So our minds basically feed into that. That's where it comes from. 
Someone who is anger, angry, someone who is wrathful, malicious, blasphemous, that comes from the mind, from the heart. That comes internal, okay? And so, but when we put off or mortify our members, as say, our sinful desires, we have compassion. But again, where do these come from as well? I mean, do you get these things by watching the news? Heavens, no. <laughs> do you get it from watching a Hallmark movie? Absolutely not. <laughs> not, okay? It's the same story a thousand times, okay? <laughs> Just different, different names have been changed, that's all. Okay, so anyways, I digress. But again, where do the, all these things take place? In the mind, in the heart. And again, it's a, it's a thing. And so here's the thing. What is the difference between these two groups? It affects the minds because why? It's centered on knowing the presence of God in our lives, I believe. This, that changes so much. If we knew that God was ever present with us, and He is through Jesus Christ living in us, the indwelling of God in our, in our lives, okay? And later on, the Holy Spirit that God has given to us as well. When we are saved, we are baptized into the Holy Spirit, knowing that God then is ever present, and we know that God Himself is always ever present. If we really knew that and really believed that, our minds wouldn't put up with this junk. But if we really knew that God was there, and He is, our minds would center around these characteristics as well. And that is, by the way, in Galatians chapter 5, a lot of these have to do with the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, It's not the fruit of Pastor Aaron, or the fruit of Harvey, or the fruit of whoever. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what God does in you. That's what He instills in you. So having the presence of God really helps put things into perspective for that. Okay, so these are very important things. So, the question is, how then do we respond? How do we respond to what we have seen and that we have learned even in these verses here? Uh, we experience God's presence again as we enter a personal relationship with Christ. When we are saved, when we understand we are a sinner, Jesus has saved us. Remember, he died on the cross for our sins, take our sins away. That we, as a new person, a new believer, as Second Corinthians says, all things have passed away. Behold, all things are come new. So God's presence through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is a part of every believer's life, whether you realize it or not. Uh, this is something we should definitely teach our children, our teenagers, and I believe it or not, at any age, we need to be constantly reminded that God is present, and that should affect how we think. And again, it's not to be under... I mean, not that mean old school teacher, Miss who? Nixon. Nixon. You say that very bitterness. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's not like that. Why is God there with us? Because he wants us what? Not to just put his thumb down on us, man, you've got to do what I say. No, his ultimate goal is to conform us to the image of Christ. Having this characteristics of compassion and kindness and forgiveness in others here. This is who Jesus Christ is. That's what, he, that's what he looks like. And so as he works in our lives, very important that we be, um, be ready for that. So as we know God's presence, how then should we respond to that? A couple quick things. Um, Exodus chapter 3, Moses at the burning bush. How does he respond when he realizes he's in the presence of the Lord? How does he respond? Remember Exodus 3? Charlton Heston, okay, helping you out here. Yeah, exactly. He, he, his, he, his behavior changes, doesn't it? That's the point. His perspective changes. Uh, think of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah is there in the temple and he sees the Lord, 
How, what is, how does he respond when he's in the presence of the Lord? He says what? Woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of people on unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king. Uh, and so here's the thing. Isaiah, his behavior, his thinking changed when he would encounter the presence of the Lord. Go in your mind to Matthew chapter 17 at the transfiguration. When Peter, James, and John are with Jesus on the high mountain and Jesus in all, is displayed in all his glory. What is their response? Remember? Mostly Peter's. What was their response? Build three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for thee, one for Elijah. It's very simple. Their attitude and thinking Change their behavior, change when they encounter the presence of the Lord. You can go to Revelation when, when the Apostle John is writing, when he is beholding Jesus Christ in glory. He, I mean, his whole persona changes as well. Uh, the book of Daniel, you can mention that. I mean, there's so many things you can look in the scriptures. When people encounter God, their lives were changed. Um, and so, here's the thing let me tell you one quick story before we, we finish this up. Um, this is when we were living in Israel. I remember that one of, there was a, uh, we had a, a guest, a lady that came, I, I even forget how she got there, maybe invited by one of our, yes, it was one of our folks had invited her. It, she was a little different. She was a Russian lady, uh, spoke no Hebrew, no English, so we communicated what my little Russian I know, but with a little bit of translation. But she said she was walking on the beach of Tel Aviv, and uh, she saw Jesus. Jesus was three meters high. So do the math. No, no. He was nine meters high. That's right. Times that by three, okay? So 27 feet high. He was wearing all black, and he had big, long black fingernails. And that was Jesus. And she was just so excited about that story. And I was like, I don't know what you saw, lady, but you need to change your diet. You know, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but seriously, that's her perception of Jesus. And you know what? Her, other than telling the story... This story, which, I mean, it's what she saw or envisioned at least. I don't know, but that doesn't match up with what the scriptures say about Jesus. Okay, you always go back to scripture for that. And was her life really changed, her behavior changed? Not really, because she kind of went around it flippantly. If she really encountered Jesus Christ, her life would be dramatically changed. And it's the same thing. When we encounter the Lord through his word, through prayer, through, uh, through worship, our lives should be changed. So here's the thing. God's presence in our lives must result in action, be characterized by service, obedience, repentance, fear, wonder, and worship. I love that. God demands that we live aware that we are constantly in his presence. We should constantly ask ourselves, would I do this if God were bodily, if we physically saw God was next to me? Will we actually do that act? Okay. Again, just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. These questions are important as we learn to think biblically on life. Doesn't that change our perspective totally? Absolutely, because you're seeing it not from what the culture says, not from what TV says or social media says or whatever your favorite book says. No, our lives change when we see the world and we see things through the lens of Scripture, through what God wants us to see. And in that, we learn to think biblically. So we talked about authority. We talked about presence. And so uh, a lot to learn from, and we praise God from that. So.